If you have your Bibles, I'm going to be in John chapter 13. John chapter 13. And we're continuing uh, in the Gospel of John. We started the, uh, the first of the year uh, going through the Gospel of John. Now we're in John chapter 13. The last time I preached, I, I preached on being a reprobate, that there was some, uh, that, that Jesus had begun to, to preach to those around, or sorry, he didn't begin, he had been preaching uh, continually uh, to the Jews and to the Pharisees and to the different ones around there. And finally, the Bible says that they got to the point that they couldn't believe, that they couldn't believe. And so this morning, we're going to be looking at, we will be seeing the progression of becoming a reprobate, the progression of a reprobate. So let's look at the first 30 verses of John chapter 13. Tim, if you could play that. Chapter 13. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour was come, that he should depart out of this world unto the Father, having loved his own which were in the world, he loved them unto the end. And supper being ended, the devil having now put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, and that he was come from God and went to God, he riseth from supper, and laid aside his garments, and took a towel, and girded himself. After that he poureth water into a basin, and began to wash the disciples' feet, and to wipe them with the towel wherewith he was girded. Then cometh he to Simon Peter, and Peter saith unto him, Lord, dost thou wash my feet? Jesus answered and said unto him, What I do thou knowest not now, but thou shalt know hereafter. Peter saith unto him, Thou shalt never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If I wash thee not, thou hast no part with me. Simon Peter saith unto him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus saith to him, He that is washed needeth not save to wash his feet, but is clean every whit. And ye are clean, but not all. For he knew who should betray him, therefore said he, Ye are not all clean. So after he had washed their feet, and had taken his garments, and was set down again, he said unto them, Know ye what I have done to you? Ye call me Master and Lord, and ye say, Well, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and Master, have washed your feet, ye also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example, that ye should do as I have done to you. Verily, verily, I say unto you, the servant is not greater than his Lord, neither he that is sent greater than he that sent him. If ye know these things, happy are ye if ye do them. I speak not of you all. I know whom I have chosen, but that the Scripture may be fulfilled, He that eateth bread with me hath lifted up his heel against me. Now I tell you before it come, that when it is come to pass, ye may believe that I am he. Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that receiveth whomsoever I send, receiveth me, and he that receiveth me, receiveth him that sent me. When Jesus had thus said, he was troubled in spirit, and testified, and said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, that one of you shall betray me. Then the disciples looked one on another, doubting of whom he spake. Now there was leaning on Jesus' bosom one of his disciples, whom Jesus loved. Simon Peter therefore beckoned to him that he should ask who it should be of whom he spake. He then, lying on Jesus' breast, saith unto him, Lord, who is it? 
Jesus answered, He it is to whom I shall give a sop when I have dipped it. And when he had dipped the sop, he gave it to Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon. And after the sop, Satan entered into him. Then said Jesus unto him, That thou doest, do quickly. Now no man at the table knew for what intent he spake this unto him. For some of them thought, because Judas had the bag, that Jesus had said unto him, Buy those things that we have need of against the feast, or that he should give something to the poor. He then, having received the sop, went immediately out. And it was night. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, we pray that the seed of your word would find a fertile soil upon our hearts. But Lord, that we would hear what your word is uh, truly saying. And Lord, we give it to you. And Lord, I ask that uh, we would apply it to our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, if we go back to uh, verse 1, what it, uh, what it says, Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour was come, that he should uh, part out of this world unto the Father, having loved his own, which were in the world, he loved them unto the end. Now that part where he says that he should depart out of this world unto the Father, having loved his own, which were in the world, he loved them until the end. Who does Jesus love? Jesus loves his own. To those who have believed upon him, those who have trusted in him, those who have followed him, those are the ones that he loves. But you may ask yourself the question of, but who... Or sorry, but doesn't Jesus love everyone? Well, let me look at a few verses here. Romans chapter 9, verse 13, and it says, As it is written, Jacob have I loved, but Esau have I hated. What was in Jacob's heart? We see this in Genesis chapter 27, verse 41, that says, And Esau hated Jacob, which is right there that I should tell you that Jacob, you know, is the one that has followed and trusted the Lord, but Esau, it says Esau hated him. Why? Because he's following and trusting the Lord. Because of the blessing wherewith his father blessed him, and Esau said in his heart, the days of mourning for my father are at hand. Then will I slay my brother Jacob. Jacob had already determined that he was going to kill his brother. While He's like, I'm going to go mourn the death of my father, but after that I'm going to kill him. He already, in his heart, was already beginning, in the Lord, what the Bible says, it says that the Lord hated Esau. John chapter 17, verses 9 and 10 says, I pray for them, I pray not for the world. This is kind of funny, because everybody says, you know, you're supposed to pray. He says, I pray not for the world, but for those which thou hast given me, for they are thine, and all mine are thine, and thine are mine, and I am glorified in them. He says he didn't pray, he doesn't pray for the world. He says, but he's prayed for the ones that he has been given, the ones that have come to him, the ones that have trusted in him, the ones that have followed him. John chapter 17, verse 14 says, I have given them thy word, and the world hath hated them, because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. The world will hate you because you are following Christ. If you are following Jesus Christ, the world will hate you. I've said that, you know, if, if the world doesn't, there might be a little problem in your walk. You might need to you know, begin to look at what God's word truly says of how you should live. I'm not saying you go over there and you start provoking people to hate you. Just you living your life you know, before them, they'll hate you. I remember this, 
you know, this last, you know, this last week I was, um, I was, I was speaking with, you know, speaking with some people and, and uh, I just brought up, you know, the fact of a, a pastor that had a, a moral failure. And I didn't say, I just said, hey, did you hear about this? And I, I wasn't trying to start anything. I just thought that they'd say, yeah, we heard about it. It's sad. They started going crazy and nuts over this whole entire, I mean, I don't know, you know, what it was. It was like all of a sudden, like, they just hated what, they hated the, the fact that people were saying that he had a moral failure more, more than the fact that he had a moral failure. And it was like, you know what, calm yourself down. You know, the thing is, is that um, you need to realize that that right there, yes, is absolutely horrible. But then they just started, it was like they started justifying what, what he did. And it was, you know, completely wrong. It was like they were justifying and saying, well, you know, everybody, everybody sins. Everybody does this. Everybody. I was like, you try to explain that to the guy's wife. Now, if you, if you were to hate the Lord, if you have not believed upon Jesus Christ only to save you, then you are in danger. And this is where I'm going to transition, that you are in danger of becoming a reprobate. How do you know if you're a reprobate? If you, are, if you actually care about not being a reprobate, then you're probably not there yet. Like, you actually care? There's other people like, I don't care. You know, if I'm a reprobate, whatever. And some people, how many of you know that some people talk to talk, you know, talk, to talk but yet don't necessarily mean what they say? Like they talk bigger than what they, well, I don't care. But you, the Lord knows the heart. The Lord knows the heart of whether or not they actually, actually care about, you know, being that. And what the thing is, is that we're going to see in this, this portion of Scripture that as we go through, obviously we need to realize that God, you know, the Bible says that the God, God doesn't love everyone. Those that are his own, those that are his children, those that have believed on him, those are his, and he loves them. But those that reject him, those that turn away from him, those that, that doesn't mean that it doesn't hurt him. That doesn't mean that, you know, that he's not sad by the fact that, that people reject him. But the thing is, is that they're going against, they're, they're not followers of him. They're not children of his. The Bible says that we're, we're grafted in, we're adopted into the kingdom, right? And once, obviously, you have a child, you don't sit there and say, well, you're not my child anymore. You're, that child's still your child, right? You don't just stop it. So what we're going to see in verse 2 is we're going to see the progression of a reprobate with Judas, all right? Judas. So in verse 2, it says, And in supper being, en uh, being ended, the devil having now put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him. It says, the devil having put into his heart that he was going to betray him. So mind you, at this point, Judas has been rejecting the Lord all the way through, you know, the God, you know all the way through the time that Jesus has been going through. That Judas kept on rejecting Jesus over and over and over again, and now the devil saw his opportunity. As I said last week, I, don't, I can't tell you how many times you need to reject the Lord in order to become a reprobate. It's just the fact that, that after a while, the Lord just says, I'm done. Because you've rejected him so many times, he's just like, I'm, I'm done. And it's not the fact that the, that the Lord doesn't want that person. He just gives them what they want. He just lets them have whatever they want. He's like, you know what? You don't want me. You hate me. You reject me. Fine. There you go. Have it. And, he, and the Bible says that he gives them over to a reprobate mind. See, Jesus, like, you know, just, or sorry, uh, Judas hung around with Jesus and the others and claimed to be a believer, much like we could see at our jobs or stores or even at, at church. 
there are ones that will come into a church, act like they're a Christian, but they're actually, you know, a reprobate. And the thing is, is that everybody thinks like a reprobate is like a serial killer. Oh, that person's a reprobate, you're a serial killer, or some sort of, you know, uh, you know, pedophile or child molester or something like that that they are. But there's other ones, too. I mean, if you go through Romans chapter 1, it gives you a list of how, uh, you know, of the different kinds of reprobates that there are out there. It's not just, like, serial killers or whatever. It's ones that actually, um, there's a book uh, called uh, Without Conscience. And this is actually you know, written by a, a secular doctor. And it's funny that he calls it Without Conscience, because that's what the Bible you know, says as well, that they are without conscience. But he says there's ones out there that basically it's all about them. That they will act like they like you and everything else, but in reality what it is is that they just want to get what they need. And the thing is they have no, they have no conscience about how they do it, how they come about it. They just, it's like in their mind, the means justifies the ends. Like it, it doesn't matter if they hurt you as long as they get what they want. So, uh, and also I just want to remind you, uh, mind you that Simon in this one is Simon the leper. And not Simon Peter, because it says that he's the son of Simon, but he's Simon the leper, not the Simon Peter. And just so you know, parents, it's your job to teach your kids about Jesus. It's your job to, to bring them up in the Bible, all right? That is your job. But it's up to your children to believe. So we as parents must do everything possible so that we, that they would believe the gospel, hopefully no, and it's up to them to believe. That's the, you know, the thing is, is that we can look back. And the thing is, as a parent, you know that as you've tre- you can do everything possible. But ultimately, they're going to make that choice of whether they want to you know, believe what you're saying or not, or they want to believe the Bible or not. I mean, how many times can you go to them and, and, and you believe the best in your child? You said, my child is just awesome. And then there's one time where all of a sudden the child just takes a toy and just chucks it at another kid. Am I the only one, I guess, that has been in that boat, I guess? But it's our job to teach them, but it's their job to follow. It's their job to believe. And so what ends up happening is that you would have, you know, parents that would, you know, did everything possible, you know, taught them the Bible, you know, helped them memorize everything else, and it's their job after that to believe. And the thing is, is that as a parent, what ends up happening is that if that child does not follow the Lord, what do you do? You blame who? Yourself. But it's a two-way street. It also takes them saying, I want to follow Christ. All right? And so, and hopefully, hopefully, none of your children, you know, become reprobate. All right? So, I, I hope that. I, I pray that. I, you know, I don't say that jokingly. I just say, I, I hope that they don't. Because, and here's the, uh, because of, because they're beyond saving. They're beyond salvation. And you say, well, pastor, I don't believe that. I don't believe a, a reprobate is beyond salvation. Well, you know what? Here's dictionary.com's definition of reprobate. It's a noun. It, it could be a noun. When it's a noun, it's a depraved, unprincipled, or wicked person, a drunken reprobate, a person rejected by God and beyond hope of salvation. As an adjective, it's a morally depraved, unprincipled, bad rejected by God and, be, uh, and beyond hope of salvation. As a verb, to disapprove, condemn, or censor of God, to reject a person as for a sin, exclude from the number of the elect or from salvation. 
How is it that the secular world can figure out what a reprobate is, but the church is, is, you know, has a problem with a reprobate saying we can still save them? When the world you know, realizes that they're beyond salvation, and the Bible says it as well because the Bible defines the word reprobate in Jeremiah 630 uh, saying reprobate silver shall men call them because the Lord what hath rejected them. There might be those people that you have that have rejected the Lord so many times that they are reprobate. And the way that you, could, you, know, uh, that you would tell is, is that when it comes to, the, uh, to Jesus or anything else, or they're basically manipulating, trying to get you to do everything. Not, okay, before you think that your child is trying, to, you, know, you know, is along this line, your child is going to try and barter and do everything possible, all right? But that doesn't mean that they're a reprobate. You know, they're just trying, you know, that they're trying to, but... What you need to realize is that when they are trying, uh, not your child, but a person is trying their best and their hardest, um, and a lot of times, here's, here's the, the crazy thing, is, is that they are extremely, they can be extremely charismatic. Think about, say, serial killers or, you know, or those that are, have led cults. They are all extremely charismatic. People like them. And they have, and I'm not saying that every single charismatic person out there is all of a sudden, you know, but they, they will follow them, and the thing is, is that they will get what they want. You think of like David Koresh, who, who was a part of the Branch Davidian down in Waco, Texas. He was extremely charismatic. People loved him, and then what did they have him do? You know, he ended up killing everybody. Or you have Jim Jones that had everybody drink Kool-Aid. I mean, all these guys are what? They were extremely charismatic. And so it's not always... A serial killer or anything else, and the th- uh, and the ones that you find out as far as serial killers, is that the when they're in prison, the psychologists will run like tests on them, ask them questions, and they it's just like they're just like have no feelings over how they manipulated or hurt somebody. It's like their like their mind, you know, the Bible says that their their mind is seared, their conscience is seared. They no longer have any feelings. They just kind of go, yep. And just kind of sit there and just, they don't care. Here's the difference. The difference in, here's the difference between someone who is a wicked sinner, somebody that doesn't know Christ, and a reprobate. A sinner can be saved. A reprobate is beyond salvation. So before you just go out there and all your friends, you're like, oh, you're a reprobate. I'm not going to talk to you. <laughs> don't just go out there and just begin to be like, oh, you're a reprobate. I'm not going to talk And try and get out of like sharing the gospel with them. Share the gospel with them, even if you think that they are or not. But the thing is, is that you can kind of tell by their response whether or not they are. And there's ones that will, like, will act, like ones that will like, act like it actually means something to them. And it's very hard you know, to sit there, so that's why I always tell people not to sit there and try and um, reprobate somebody beforehand, because sometimes they're really, really good at it. And, uh, but that's the difference. A sinner can be saved, a reprobate cannot. They're beyond it. And if you don't, uh, you know, believe me, as far as some of the, that the Bible uh, talks about this, you know, look at Romans chapter 18, sorry, Romans chapter 1, verse 18 verse, uh, through 32. There is not a, a uh, chapter 18 in Romans, so don't think that your Bible is missing a few chapters, because um, I just said that. But in uh, Romans chapter 1, verse 18 through 32 talks about it, Proverbs chapter uh, 1, verse 23 through 33. Uh, John chapter uh, 37 through 30, uh, 37 through 41, which we talked about last week or a couple weeks ago. And then also uh, 
Hebrews chapter uh, 6, verses 4 through 8, speak of a person who was a reprobate. So let's look at, I'm going to look at the latter portion of uh, Romans chapter uh, 1, and I'm going to start at verse 28 to give you an idea even more so, hopefully a better explanation than I already gave you of what a reprobate is. Verse uh, 28, and even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a reprobate mind to those things which are not convenient. So they, they've heard about God, they know about God, but what does it say? It says they didn't even retain him in their knowledge. They didn't want anything to do with him. And like I said, after a while, when you keep on rejecting, we keep on rejecting what does the Bible say? It says God gave them over to a reprobate mind. He says, you know what? I'm going to give you what you want. And he says, here you go. And then here's some of the list that I was uh, uh, talking about as far as the list of reprobates. This is not all of it because I didn't read the other, uh, the other verses before it, but here's some of them. Being filled with all unrighteousness, fornication, wickedness, covetous, uh, maliciousness, uh, full of envy, murder, debate, uh, deceit, malignity, uh, whisperers, backbiters, haters of God, despiteful, proud boasters, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, without, uh, without understanding uh, covenant breakers, without uh, natural affection, implicable, unmerciful. So these are all, that's like a list of the different kind of reprobates that you can see. And going on it says, who knowing the judgment of God, that they, uh, that they which commit such things are worthy of death, so the Bible says that those in this list are worthy of what? Death. I know that this is something that you know, most people don't want to hear about you know, nowadays. But it says that they're what? They're worthy of death. And I don't believe that Christians should be going around there you know, doing this and whatever. If you had a perfect you know, uh, Bible-believing society, this would be something that would be carried out by the government. It says not only... Uh, uh, do the same, but have pleasure in them that do it. So it's not even that you know, just the fact it says, who knowing the judgment of God, that, the, uh, that they that which say, uh, such things are worthy of death, not only do the same, but have pleasure in them that do, uh, do them. They enjoy what they do. They enjoy hurting people. They enjoy murdering people. They enjoy uh, all these, all in that list, they enjoy what they do. See, like say like a child, if they, uh, if they lie, what do they do? They feel bad about it. Once you correct them, they feel bad about it, and they, they do what? A person that's reprobate would just be like, don't care. I'm going to do it again. See, let's look at uh, Proverbs chapter 1. Proverbs chapter 1, verse uh, uh, 23. This will also give you an idea of how the, you know, the reprobate mind works. Proverbs chapter 1, verse 23 says this, Turn you at my reproof. Behold, I will pour out my spirit upon you. I will make known my words unto you. So God is doing everything. He says, he's trying to reproof them, trying to correct them. And what it says is, I will pour out my spirit unto you, and I will make known. So God is doing everything possible right now. He's doing everything possible for them. He's, he's, they've heard it, they've heard it, they've heard it. Next verse. Because I have called, and, you re uh, and ye refused... I have stretched out my hand, and no man regarded. So God pours out a spirit, pours out a spirit, keeps on telling, 
And they, what do they do? They refuse, they disregard it. They don't want to regard it at all. But ye have set at naught all my counsel and would none of my reproof. And here's what God says. I also will laugh at their calamity. When they've gone you know, beyond because all they did, God laughs at them. He says he's going to laugh at all the stuff that happens. Why? Because he gave them up. Because they didn't care. They refused. And uh, it says, I will mock when your fear comes. This is God. He's saying that he's going to laugh. He's going to mock them because they have turned their back on him. It says, when your fear cometh as desolation and your destruction cometh as whirlwind, when distress and anguish come upon you. God laughs and mocks when all this stuff happens. Why? Because he's like, you know what? You had, you had your chance and you rejected me time and time and time again. This is what happens with Judas. I mean, think about it. Judas, for three years, maybe three plus years, is hanging out with the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. He's hanging out with the Messiah. And what does he do? He rejects him that entire time. And so for people to say, you know what, if I was around the same time that Jesus was around, I would have definitely you know, lived for him because I would have, you know, because of all the miracles. No, you wouldn't have. Because you'll have ones that will come up to you and say that to you. Say, if I saw all the miracles they did, there would have been no doubt in my mind. Yeah, there would have been. Next part. Then shall they call upon me, but I will not answer. They shall seek me early, but they shall not find me. God has completely turned himself off to them. For that they hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord. They would none of my counsel. They despised all my reproof. Therefore shall they eat of the fruit of their own way and be filled with their own devices. Doesn't that sound familiar? What you read in Romans chapter 1 that it says that they, that basically, like, you know, that God gives them over because they're just doing what they want to do. They just do what they want to do. They don't care. For the turning away of the simple shall slay them, and the prosperity of fools shall destroy them. But whoso hearken unto me, whosoever basically like believes on Jesus, hearken unto me, shall dwell safely and shall be quiet from uh, fear of evil. He's, he, uh, he goes to the list of how it happens, that they just slowly reject him, and he just finally just says it. He says, you know what, I'm going to laugh and mock, it, uh, mock you, you know, when things don't go right in your life. And people don't want to think that about God, but that's what his word says. That's what God's word says, that after you reject him and you reject him and reject him and he gives you over to a reprobate mind, the thing is, where's God now? Well, you know what? You had your chance and you rejected him. You see, Judas never truly followed the Lord. He hung out with Jesus and his disciples. He was more concerned with the money bag and about himself than what Jesus was saying and doing and showing him day in and day out how to receive eternal life. Jesus, as we've seen throughout the Gospel of John, almost every single chapter, there's 99 times where he says, believe on me, believe on me, believe on me. And there's only, one, uh, what, 21 chapters in the Gospel of John. 99 times. So they heard this over and over again in the three and a half years that he was there, believe upon me, believe upon me. And what do they do? What does Judas do? He rejects them. He rejects them. He rejects them. He rejects them. And now Satan makes his move and puts it in his heart to betray the Lord for money. 
for 30 pieces of silver. In verses 3 through 15, some of you are going, he's only on verse 3. Don't worry. I know what Moses said to Pharaoh, let my people go. Verses 3 through 15, Jesus, uh, it says that Jesus knows that the Father has given all things into his hands. And he begins to wash the disciples' feet, and Jesus is setting this example for his disciples to follow, which is to be a servant of the gospel. But you will also see that Peter himself doesn't understand it. Peter doesn't understand. He's like, he's like Lord, you're not going to wash my feet. You can't do that. And Jesus you know, tells him that he says, if I don't wash your feet, you can have no part of me. And he says, oh, Lord, wash my hands and my feet, you know, my feet and my head. And what does he say? He says, those that, have been, uh, that, those that are made clean don't need to have all that, just their feet. He says, but yet there's one that is not clean. So Jesus knows there's one that's been playing. And I believe that the disciples have no idea at this point, because the way you know, that it's talking about, that they have no idea at this point of what's going on, and they won't understand it until after the resurrection. He even says in there that they didn't understand what's going on. He's like, oh, well, maybe it's because he's part of, you know, he, he takes care of the money. Maybe it's because of this. Maybe he's going to go buy food for the poor. Maybe he's going to go, and he doesn't understand it. In verses, uh, verses 10 and 11, speak of the salvation of the disciples and Judas's wicked condition. This is progression number two. Verse 10 says, Jesus saith unto them, he that wa- uh, washeth needeth, uh, needeth not save to wash his feet, but is clean very wit, uh, every whit. And ye are clean, but not all. For he knew who, uh, who should betray him. Therefore he said, ye are not all clean. He knows. He's at that point. He knows that Judas is at that point, yet uh, he's at that point, and he's about to ready to go over the edge. He rejected him. He rejected him. And then Satan puts in his heart, he says, you know what, you should go betray him. And then, he, uh, and then Jesus, you know, saying, you know what, he's at that point. He's not clean. Verse 16, verily, verily, I say unto you, the servant is not greater than, uh, than his Lord, neither he, 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 neither he uh, that is greater than he that sent him. We are not better than Jesus. Thought I'd get a better amen on that one. We are not better than Jesus. So why oftentimes do Christians think that they should be treated better, thought of better, or talked about better than Jesus? I'm not saying that everybody should go around and be like, oh, that, you know, that's so-and-so, they're jerks. But I'm saying that we often, for some odd reason in American Christianity, we have this idea that everybody spoke well of Jesus. But they said, well, Everybody spoke well of him, but yet they crucified him. A person does not get crucified unless you had done something. And it was something that they didn't like to hear. Jesus, right now, for some of you, you don't like, to, you don't like hearing what I'm saying about being, a reprobate, you know, about being a reprobate. But here's the thing, is that if Jesus was lied about, if he was beaten, if he was, had all these things said about him, and he was crucified, why do we think it's going to be so much better? Because we have this idea of the American dream. The American dream has overtaken the church. You know, that, 
you know, you got to have, you know, a house with a white picket fence, two and a half kids. I don't know how you have a half a child. And think two and a half vehicles as well. If you figure out that half a child, please don't show it to me. I want to know. I see you driving, you know, half a car. I guess that'd be like a motorcycle, I guess. I don't know. But we had this idea that this is how it's supposed to be and that we're supposed to go out there more lawn and not, you know, nobody's supposed to, you know, have a problem with us. But we see a very different Jesus than what's being taught, you know, in most churches. Jesus himself goes out and tells the truth and people just flat out don't like it and they lie about him. How many of you have ever been lied about when you flat, and it may not even been for the gospel's sake, but because somebody didn't like what you did or said or whatever, they lied about you. And you had purest intentions. You were just like, you know, hey, I'm going to go over here and make a meal for somebody else. And somebody's like, oh, you see how they are? They're just trying to, you know, they're just trying to brown nose this person over here. You see what they're trying to do? They're just trying to, they're trying to get in good, you know, because, you know what, that person's, you know, got power, so they just. John chapter 15, verse 20 says, Remember the word that I said unto you, the servant is not greater than his Lord. If they persecuted me, they will, all, they will also persecute you. If they have kept my saying, they will keep yours also. They persecuted Jesus, they're going to persecute you. Don't think that just because you're a believer that everybody's like, oh, they're just a nice person. How many of you know that people don't, there are people out there that absolutely hate a person that actually is honest and true and kind? They, it's just like they, uh, they're just bent on going, you know what, I want to see if I can t- uh, irritate them. I want to see if I can make them mad. I want to see if I can, and they get joy out of it. But they'll hide it by saying, bless your heart. That's not in my notes. That's just a little, free, a little freebie there. But here's the thing, is that we have, we need to, to get our minds off of this, you know, of the fact that, that we are not going to be treated better than Jesus. That at this time, you know, that they're going through, that what ends up happening is obviously, you know, they're going to have the Roman government after them. They're going to have all the Jewish people after them, the religious leaders. Everyone is going to be after Jesus. So it kind of goes against this, this false issue, this false idea that most people go, well, I became a Christian, so my life is just going to be wonderful. It's going to be like I'm just running through a, a field of daisies every day. How many in here go, I don't know, you know where they got that one because I, I, I've never been treated that way. I, my Christian walk has been more difficult than it was when I was following the world. And that's the, and that's the issue that what people don't want to realize is that we will be persecuted. And I believe that what we're seeing nowadays with all the stuff that's going on, not saying everyone that engages in it, but a lot of the people that are in control of things are actually reprobates. I think a lot of the political leaders, you know, that are a part of it, Republican, Democrat, Independent, whatever, that they're reprobate. And they enjoy seeing how people are reacting to things. They enjoy seeing riots and and looting. They they enjoy people seeing a a person, you know, over there beating somebody, you know, for a TV or whatever. They enjoy all that kind of stuff. And I sit there and I shake my head. And the thing is, is because they've just rejected the Lord so much. I mean, what 
institution has taken the most flack during the pandemic? One of them is the church. They wanted to close down churches. Specifically, they'll say religious institutions, but then you'll catch them in the same breath saying churches. They're not talking about like mosques and, and synagogues and all sorts of stuff. They're talking about the church specifically. There's a hatred in, Christ, uh, in America over Christianity. And where does that start? It starts with our leadership. It starts with those that are, you know, and, you know, goes down from the White House all the way down. I'm not saying that, you know, uh, I'm not saying any particular person in the White House, but I'm saying those that are in charge, helping the president, helping do whatever, those that are governors, mayors, senators, congressmen, there are ones in there that are reprobate, getting what they want. There's someone, I have my opinion, I'm not going to say it, there's someone pulling all the strings, getting joy out of this. Verses 13 and 19 says, that, uh, says this. Ye call me ma uh, master and lord, and ye say, well, for, for so am I. Verse 19. Now I tell you because, uh, before it come, that when it has come to pass, ye may believe that I am he. What is Jesus saying? Jesus is saying who he is, that he is God. He's telling you, he says, ye may believe that what? That I am he. I am the one that is to come. I am the Messiah. I am the chosen one. I am the one. I am the one. And he's still telling them over and over again. It's like he needs to reassure them. I am he. I am he. We also see in verses, uh, verses 18 and 19 where it says, before it says, if the world, oops, I, I turned my page over. I speak not of you all. I know whom I have chosen, but that the scripture may be filled, uh, fulfilled that he that uh, eateth bread with me hath lifted up his heel against me. And then he goes on in verse 19, as I just read, Now I tell you before it come, that when it come to pass, you may believe that I am he. We are seeing Jesus' foreknowledge. His, his, he's a prophet. We know that you know, the Bible says that he is a prophet. He's, he's foretelling the future. He has, he has the power to do that. He's, he's omniscient. Why? Because he's God. He's all-knowing, all-seeing God. He knows these things. Because, if, like I said, in verse 18, he says, he says, he that eats the bread with me has lifted up his heel against me. Has he done it yet? No. But he knows. Verse 20. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that uh, receiveth uh, whosoever I send receiveth me, and he that receiveth me receiveth him that sent me. What is he saying? He says, basically, when you go out and you preach the gospel, when you go soul winning, when you do all those things, he says, what we are doing, what he's saying, he said, he's telling us that when the Bible says, go ye therefore into all the world and preach the gospel, when we go, when we go out and we tell somebody, you are sent of him, you are being sent out, you're going and whoever receives the gospel because of you receives eternal life. He's saying that's to your credit, that when you go out, that when you, when you preach the gospel to somebody, when you're, being, you know, you're sent out, you preach the gospel, and somebody comes to know the Lord, that's because of they're believing upon the one that has sent him. And it's, it's, it's to you. The Bible says in Matthew chapter 20, uh, 22, verse 9, it says, Go ye therefore into the highways and the hedges. Matthew 28, uh, 19, go ye therefore and teach all nations. Mark 16, 15, go ye uh, into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. 
what we need to do is we need to go out and we need to tell people about Jesus. Amen? But we see in verse 21, Jesus is troubled in his spirit. Verse 21, when Jesus had thus said, he was troubled in spirit and testified and said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, one of you shall betray me. This is the second time in two chapters where Jesus has been troubled in his spirit. The first time in, in chapter 12, verse 27, it says, knowing of what is coming, it's knowing because of what is coming soon on the cross. He's troubled in his spirit because he knows what has to come you know, in the future. And now what is troubling his spirit is that knowing that Judas is going to reject him again and become reprobate. So don't tell me that God doesn't care about the fact of a person turning reprobate and everything else. Because he does. Let's look at uh, 22 through 30. Then the, the disciples looked one on another, doubting of whom he spanked. He uh, there was leaning and uh, leaning on Jesus' uh, bosom, one of his disciples whom Jesus loved. We know that uh, this from other parts, that that's the, uh, the disciple John. Simon Peter therefore beckoned to him that he should ask who it, sh uh, who it should be of whom he spake. He then, lying on, on Jesus' breast, said, said unto him, Lord, who is it? Jesus answered, He it is to whom I, I, I give a sup when, he, uh, when I have dipped it. And when he had dipped the sup, he gave it to Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon. And after the sub, Satan entered into him. Then said Jesus unto them, unto him, That thou doest, do quickly. Now no man at the table knew for what the intent he spake, uh, he spake uh, the, uh, this unto him. For some of them thought, because Judas had the bag, that Jesus had uh, said unto him, Buy those things, that we have need need of against the feast, or that he should uh, he should give something unto the poor. He then, having received the sup, went immediately out, and it was night. This is the third uh, the third and final progression that we see is the fact that he, once he gave it to him, he reject uh, you know Judas uh, rejects him one more time, and. We see this, we see him, all of a sudden it says what? Satan entered into him. My question for you today, will you warn others of what's coming if they continue to reject Jesus Christ and tell them that he can save them from hell? This entire 30 verses didn't have to happen. It didn't. If somebody, if, if Judas believes, but he doesn't. He kept rejecting him and re rejecting him and rejecting him and rejecting him. And what ends up happening? He rejects him to the point to where he's a reprobate and then he's beyond salvation. I mean, look at, look at the differences between Peter and Judas. What, is, uh, what does Peter do? He denies the Lord three times, right? 
But what does he do at the end? The Lord restores him. And I'm getting ahead of myself because that's in the up and coming chapters. But he restores him. Because Peter uh, truly believed upon the Lord. Now what does Judas do? He, retur- he returns the money and some people say that, you know, that was his. No, because he went on and then he, he kills himself. It's two different uh, endings to the whole thing. They both deny the Lord. They both reject, uh, you know, they both denied him. But yet had totally different results. And it's our job as believers, it's our jobs as Christians to go out and warn others. I mean, your, your, whole, your whole point shouldn't be, hey, if you keep on rejecting them, you're going to become a reprobate, and you shouldn't become a reprobate. That's not the whole thing. The whole thing is to preach the gospel to them. And the, I think the reason why we see America where it is at this point is because Christians, for the most part, haven't been doing it. They haven't been doing it. If you, if you don't believe me, how many times in the Old Testament does the, the nation of Israel... That when they reject the Lord, what happens to them? Somebody comes in and destroys them. Mm -hmm. The Lord will tell them, if you do this, this will happen. If you don't do this, this is what's going to happen. And that's what ends up. And they will go ahead, and sometimes they listen, and they prosper, and everything does well. But... Then they have those times where they don't, and what ends up happening? They, a nation, all of a sudden, you know, uh, they follow idols. If you're, you know, if you ever, you know, look up, uh, you know, uh, you know, Moloch in the the Old Testament, what are they doing? They're sacrificing their babies. Does that sound familiar? They're murdering people. They're doing all these kinds of. They're they're lying, cheating, doing all these kind of things. And what do you th- do? We think that America, you know, is is so godly that God's never going to touch it. Maybe at one time it was, but it's not the same America that it was when the forefathers found it. And it's our job, if we would, as believers, go out and preach the gospel and tell people about Jesus, maybe then the nation turns back to Jesus. It's not going to come from the White House. It's going to come from the church. It's not going to come from the White House. I don't care who's president. It's not going to change unless Bible-believing Christians go out and preach the gospel. We far too long have allowed reprobates you know, in government offices and everything else to dictate how this nation's going to be. But I'm telling you that if we would go out and we tell people about Jesus, what's going to happen? You could see a nation turn. You're going to see people voted out of office, and it's going to be replaced with godly leadership instead of the heathens that are in there now. So many times we have waited upon, waited upon, and waited upon the president or a politician to save us, and they can't. Only Jesus Christ, the Savior, can do that. I feel like the past four years since you know, President Trump, and I'm not you know, bad-mouthing him, but I feel like all of a sudden, as soon as Republicans, conservatives, Christians, he was in the office for, you know, for four years ago, and oh, I can sit back and relax. I got a conservative president. And you see what happened. And we see what happened. That should have been the time that we went out and we, and we started telling people about Jesus. It should have happened way long, you know, a time ago. I'm just thinking the last four years. 
that we get a president in that we like. I mean, not everything about him, but he's doing things that we, we kind of sort of like. And we just go, I'm good. It's fine. I'm good. And now we're at a point, at, you know, at a moment to where everybody's flipping out yet again. Like I said, four years ago, it was the liberals. Where today, it's all the conservatives. And there's a person playing in the background, just like a, as a puppet master, just going, I wonder what I can do now, and getting joy out of this. And that's a reprobate. I can tell you that really, you know, flat out right now. Because anybody that you know, enjoys toying with people and seeing how much chaos they can cause, I, I, I would say that they're a reprobate. And this has nothing to do with the election, but I'm saying if we're looking at America, how it currently stands, I believe a nation rises and falls upon believers sharing the gospel. You say, Pastor, that's a, whew, that's a heavy load. It's a lot to bear. Am I telling you to go out and preach to 30 million people today? Start with one. And then go on to the next one. And then go on to the next one. And then go on to the next one. And if we do our part, for one thing, every person in Carothersville could hear about Jesus. Every person in Steele could hear about Jesus. Every person in Haytai could hear about Jesus. Everybody in Pemiscot County, everybody in Dunklin County, all those, they could begin to, you know, to hear about Jesus. And it's their job at that moment to either accept them or reject them, but at least we preach the gospel to them. 